Hello, welcome to Back to the Point. We're back with you after uh, not a long time since our last podcast. We're both on our lunch break now, so it's a good time to get away and talk some Sharks hockey. How are you doing, Ian? I'm good. I'm especially enjoying this weather. It's been yeah. <laughs> pouring in Southern California for the past couple of days, and it reminds me of my time in Seattle, of which I am nostalgic. Yes. Without having to endure the Seattle overcastness for nine months of the year. And I'm sure you'll be excited for uh, taking a trip up to Seattle to see the new, yeah. new franchise play, potentially play, play the Sharks up there. Yeah, yeah, I was really excited about it. Uh, I was in Seattle when they first um, announced the whole process for Vegas. I was there during the whole Vegas process. And at the original, if people remember, uh, the beginning of the Vegas process, they were potentially going to do two at one, two teams at once, and Seattle was mm-hmm. in there. They just couldn't agree on which arena to get. Um, there was arenas. They were going to build an arena near the Seahawks Stadium and the Mariners Stadium, or one in the middle of downtown, uh, which would have, uh, which would be more centrally located, but then have a little bit more issues, especially for fans getting there outside of those who live in downtown. So it's yeah. it's cool. I'm excited. I really hope they do right by the name. Uh, I was going to ask, what are your thoughts on the name? What do you think should be the name? Everyone keeps on saying Kraken, and I think that's the stupidest name. <laughs> It'd be like if the Vegas team was named the Vegas Aces. It just sounds like a, a minor Some trope, a, kind of. Some, yeah, I don't know. A total trope, a total like minor league move. So um, I like the What metrics. about Sasquatch? Same thing. Stupid. Yeah. I, people are kind of laughing off the sockeye, but like salmon is like a huge part of uh, that area. And especially to the Native Americans who live there, they um, they have a lot to do with, sa- with salmon and Pacific Northwest salmon, is some of the best in the world. There's a lot of different types of salmon. It helps the economy. Like a lot of the area was built around it. So if they choose like a salmon name, like sockeye or something like that, I think it'd be great. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's a little bit kind of cheesy. It doesn't really sound great for like a sports team. Right. But I think it would be good as someone who Mm -hmm. used to live there. Um, probably better choices. I think the two that I would like would be the Metropolitans. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. mm -hmm, Yeah. Gary Bettman kind of shot that down in his press concerns. He's like, that was a long time ago. And there's a division named the Metropolitan division. So it's like, well, you know, they did win the Stanley cup. But that makes the most sense for me from a historical standpoint. I'm not sure I like it for those reasons you just mentioned, but I guess if they want to do the throwback thing or the, or just do metros, I don't, I don't know. That's, that's also a weird thing for the sport sports name as well. Yeah. The, um, uh, um, there was a former WHL team called the Seattle totems that played in okay. Seattle with yeah. the Canucks before the Canucks expanded into the NHL. The yeah. Canucks actually have a bit of their, like their uh, Orca Sea. It's got a bit of, uh, I guess they'll call it First Nations okay. um, kind of uh, design and artwork around it. So I actually think if the NHL did uh, the, if they went with the, oh my gosh, what did I just say? Oh, the totems. If they went with the totems, I think it would be a perfect representation of that area. There's a ton, even in, even in downtown Seattle, there's actually like a lot of totem poles. And mm. um, I actually learned a bit about totem poles when I was there in terms of like what they represent and how they're done and what the significance is. So I actually think it represents that area well. There's a huge amount of 
uh, indigenous Native American people and the and First Nations people up in that whole area across both borders. I think it would tie in the area a bit better with the connects. I think that would be fun. And uh, there is some history there. So I think some nostalgia for some older hockey fans would be great. And it, and it yeah. has like a cool sports name. Yeah. Yeah. That, that seems like uh, yeah. it, would, it would be kind of cool and a little bit different. Yeah. The I last think... thing I'll say, sorry, is that the Seahawks, the Thunderbirds are both uh, Native American representations <laughs> oh. of either real or mystical is the wrong word, like folklore uh, animals. Like a, the Thunderbird yeah. is like a, a mythical creature in their culture. And that's the WHL team there. And the Seahawk, I think, is similar. So it would okay. even tie in with some of the local sports teams too. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, so I like, cool. kind of, I like some more of the kind of cultural, like nature-driven names. There's some like pilot like aeronautical stuff because Boeing's been there for a long time, but I think they should go with the more nature thing instead of something that kind of is brought by the company, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know about a lot of other people, but if you ask me in the future, if, if we were to make a road trip together to see a game, I would much rather see the sharks play in Seattle than, than go to Vegas, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So maybe that's something that we could consider in the future. That's, that's a ways out though. Yeah. It's a dude, it's a great sports city. Like people love their teams. They're there. fanatical. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on to the sharks. Last time we talked, I just have to apologize to our listeners. My audio quality was really bad. I think I was driving on my way home, and uh, so maybe I won't do it quite like that, um, or maybe use a headphone speaker instead. So I just wanted to say sorry for that. And uh, there might have been some issues with the sync at the end. I'm not really sure, mm-hmm. but this should be a lot better since it's quiet in my environment and on your environment, I think we're sitting in our cars and should be good. So last time we were talking about the sharks and, and, and struggling with offense and defense right now, the sharks are on a two game win streak. Hopefully it can get to their first three game win streak. And I've, I've liked some of the changes that have happened uh, most notably in terms of on the off ice, off ice, well kind of on ice things. The coaching staff has kind of been rearranged. That's some of the big news in the last day or two. Peter DeBoer has elected to move Rob Zettler off the bench and put him as the new eye in the sky coach. Dave Barr, who was there before, and I believe worked with DeBoer in New Jersey, has come down to the bench. Steve Spott doesn't seem to be so offensive focused now. He's taking a turn at working with the defensemen. And uh, I thought this is interesting. They only have one win under the belt with this new change. Last night, uh, the 5-1 win um, against Carolina, which was a solid effort. And uh, so that's promising, but we really don't know how this is going to play out. Um, What are your thoughts on the the coaching shuffling? Yeah, uh, Kevin Kurz had a great article with The Athletic saying that this is actually like quite rare to do in season. Um, he's reposted that article a few times, so it should be pretty easy to find for those who have a subscription. Again, he has some great insight about some kind of like meta things about the team, not just the post-game recaps, which I really like. Mm -hmm. Um, This would be one thing included in there. Um, Yeah. DeBoer was also signed to a contract extension in the off-season, so that's cool because we like DeBoer. Yeah. Um, So I think this kind of ties into it because people have been calling for DeBoer to be fired because 20 guys, 20 games, 25 games, the team's struggling. Obviously it's the coach's issue according to them. And I just don't think that's a true thing. 
Um, from a logical standpoint, it's a, it's a silly thing. From a, from a emotional standpoint, I understand where people are coming from because when the team's not me, when they're not up to snuff, you want some changes. And yeah. the easiest change for a lot of teams, especially early on this season, is is a coaching change. But that if you think step back and think about it logically, that's not that doesn't make sense right now. Totally. Like we are not going to throw away our season to do that. And then people say like, Oh, well the penguins did it. And the, there's another team that did it recently as well who, and they both won the Stanley cup. And it's like, sure. That's two examples. Let's talk about all the other examples that lost. Mm-hmm. That How many times and, have like, the threw away their changed season. their coaches? Yeah, for <laughs> right, real. So I think it makes sense from a, standpoint of if you're operating with incomplete information like great but i think uh you and i do a good job of understanding that we don't have all the cards and not assuming that we have all the cards and all the information with like the the product that we put out so i think it's good it's a little bit kind of telling that zettler kind of gets thrown off the bench you know um it Mm -hmm. is interesting like yes he was with the team last night We, we you and me were texting about this last night Zettler was with the team last year, and the team was fine defensively. Although we do remember that uh, Burns definitely did not do well in the beginning of the yes. season. It took him quite a long time to warm up, and he probably had his worst season in TLS year in terms of decision-making um, mm-hmm. since he's kind of turned into the player he is. So it's interesting that the D was the issue. The person in charge of the D was taken off of the uh, on-ice responsibilities during in-game management of the D. So that's, that's interesting. Um, and I'm sure a lot of, go ahead. I don't necessarily think that means he is the issue, but clearly the players needed a kick in the pants or they, the same things were falling on deaf ears. So th- something needed to happen. I'm glad that they did something kind of drastic. And I don't think firing DeBoer would be the right decision. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin, Kerr, uh, the last thing I'll say on this is Kevin Kurz had a great article going through the question of should we fire DeBoer and it was just like seven paragraphs of just solid defense of DeBoer and debunking all the myths around his past teams and why it would be a bad idea to do it I texted you a few quotes from that but yeah. I definitely encourage everyone to read that article I think I retweeted it it was, it was great yeah um, it's encouraging to see that, you know, the coaching staff sees a problem and they're proactive in trying to do something without, you know, people getting fired, <laughs> which would suck for them, obviously. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, people say that when you make the coaching change, I remember when Todd McClellan left, there was saying that, you know, you need a new voice in the room. It's falling on deaf ears, but this is an interesting way to shuffle things up and to get some new perspectives in house. Just, just kind of a rearrangement. It's like you're uh, changing the furniture in the room. <laughs> Maybe the comfort the players are more comfortable sitting uh, <laughs> in different places. Yeah, I'm going too far with this analogy. Anyway. Um, so that's nice. And then I, maybe another notable part of the coaching shuffling that stands out to fans is that people always want to, um, you know, tie up Steve's spot and, and burn <laughs> the stake as it were for running the PP. And when it's not working, they like to heavily criticize him. So he is work, working with the D men now, which is interesting. And I'm sure 
maybe people are saying, good, maybe our power play will have another look. But, you know, all in all, our power play has had stretches where it's been a little dysfunctional this season. And I think it's still at times doesn't look as dangerous as you think it should, but overall we're, I think I saw last night we're 12th in the league or something like that. So it's, it's running pretty well. And lately we've been getting a a goal per game on the power play. It seems like on average. And um, that's pretty good. That's pretty solid. Uh, I guess let's jump into last night's game and the game against Montreal. I just want to say a couple things. I think that the big issue lately has been the defense like we've talked about. And while the Sharks haven't really tightened up uh, completely, you're seeing some positive changes where they're tightening things. If I, if I may, with another analogy, um, <laughs> you know, you could think that the Sharks sprung a leak with some, uh, with some sort of part of their structure where, you know, the water spewing out, the oil spewing out, there was a nut or bolt that got loose. Right now they're tightening that back right? And there's still some water or whatever spraying out. Um, They're still letting things happen. They're still still letting a couple odd man rushes here and there, a couple defensive missed assignments. But all in all, you see things tightening up a little bit. I've seen that in the last couple games. And it's only two games, but that's promising. I just think we have to wait and see where this goes um, in in the following three, four, five games to see if that's a continuing trend and not just another you know, one or two game loss streak after, after this two game win streak. So those are my thoughts on just the general trends. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I, I tend to agree. I will point out that I myself was corrected on Twitter. I thought that that meant spot was getting moved off the power play. Um, and turns out no one really asked DeBoer about who was running the power play until the next day. And then they said spot is still on the power play. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So I stand corrected as well. Yeah, I tweeted out, they're like, oh, Steve Spots off the power play, woo! But, you know, he's been doing fine. And I think the biggest thing was last year with our power play, people were pissed because we lost Thornton and we didn't have anyone to, like, fill in his spot. So we didn't really have our power play quarterback. And they mid-year transitioned into Burns being that. And he's grown into that role, but he didn't start with that. So, um definitely have no complaints with him this year people forget that a power play is a low percentage it's like 20 to 30 30 being extremely good and that means one in three chances one in four one in five chances so when people get mad for not scoring on the power play every game it's like you should have a few goals every 10 chances but like you're not going to score every single chance so i don't really have an issue with that i think we have some great redundancy now Last year, LeBanc really didn't show as much playmaking abilities in Thornton's absence until a little bit later on. Before that, he was mostly a shooter. Um, And now I think he's transitioned to more of a playmaker, and he actually doesn't shoot a whole lot unless he's on the power play, which is sad because he has a great shot. But as we've pointed out, uh, his release needs to quicken up. He has a really, really fast, really accurate shot, but it takes a long time for him to get it off. Mm-hmm. Now, talking about the Montreal game, I thought it was good. It was a good effort from the Sharks. They jumped out to an early lead, and they protected the lead for the whole game. And when the team is down two or three goals in the first, like, 10 to 20 minutes of the game, like, the Sharks don't need to score more. And 
they can sit back and kind of weather that, and that's fine. And then Montreal, they must score. So for the rest of the game, they're going to be taking a ton of chances. And they're probably going to outshoot us, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. And I saw the same thing happen against the Hurricanes. And you know what? We were able to sustain both of those wins. We weren't necessarily in grave danger. Um, they were out shooting us. Cool. But we can let them out shoot us as long as we keep these shots as low danger ones. And I think the knock against the Montreal game is that a lot of them were high danger. So right. we definitely tightened things up between the two games. But, hey, we got a win. And that's what we needed. And I will not argue about how you get your win to end like a basically five game losing streak. Yeah. So that's fine for me. And then against the hurricanes, like they put up the most shots in the league and um, even their own team reporters, like Sarah Severman, Siverman. I don't really, Sarah Siv. I don't really know how to pronounce her last name, (laughs) but she's the new athletic reporter for the, uh, for the hurricanes. And, And she was kind of diagnosing the fact that like, they put up all these shots. They put up the most shots in the league at almost a historical number based on how many shots per game or across the total season. And uh, it just, um, they're going in. They've only scored two goals, five on five in the past, like, yeah, two or three games. Yeah, that's terrible. And then they were saying that, like, yeah, we have a lot of high danger scoring chances, but they're not going in. And I think this goes to something we've talked about previously. It's like shot location by itself does not necessarily equate to what the NHL and teams would consider a high danger scoring chance. Mm-hmm. It may come from a high danger area. And that's one thing, but a scoring chance is context plus area. Mm-hmm. And context is that the hurricanes are lacking being in front of the net and there for rebounds. And that was something that she was pointing out in her article. And I think we saw that last night too. There was a couple saves that Martin Jones had. That was great. But all in all, he didn't have to make a ton of like, crazy no can't see anything saves or like pounding away rebounds they just put up a lot of shots yeah yeah let me get in here with another point I think I want to talk about Martin Jones and how I think he's settling in but conversely to what you're saying with the Hurricanes um, putting up shots maybe not getting uh, bodies in front of the the goaltenders like conversely on the the other teams and the Sharks and yeah not all uh, shots from one location are created equal because if you look at the difference between shooting in the slot on a breakaway versus uh, a one timer versus, you know, skating through there, like what is the goalie's position? Are they already moving on their skates? Are they sliding side to side? Um, are they set and ready to go? I think with a goaltender who's very positionally sound like Jones, if he's, seeing the shot and ready at, at the right angle and prepared to take a shot. He does a lot better. I think the hurricanes game was a good example where he was able to get set and make the decision of where he wanted to be versus in prior games where the sharks have, have allowed a lot of odd man rushes or letting the other team kind of skate with speed towards the net against Jones. And he, he struggled more on that. But if you ask me, any goaltender would and yeah, bring that back to Jones with how, He's been settling in. I'm just happy that you can be confident in looking with him where you see his his talent with being a good positional goaltender and when he can see things and when he can um, have more time to make uh, the decisions that he wants where where his body, how far he where his body is, how far he is away from the crease, um, how he sets up against the shot. 
he does a pretty good job and he can make those occasional saves against breakaways. And he's shown that the last couple of games, but if you're giving up six to eight, two on ones, three on twos, <laughs> breakaways a night, like he's going to fail. And so will Dell. And so will Corey Crawford. And so, <laughs> so will Matt Murray, you know, that's, it's just been so disproportionate lately. And I just hope this whole anti Martin Jones thing gets laid to rest still he's just been really good this this last couple of games and i think he's capable of being not just a good goaltender but um a great goaltender um he he's more athletic than you would think for his uh like lanky uh stretched out frodo baggins body you know <laughs> what <laughs> the reason i just say that is because uh i just know somebody who who says he looks like frodo and it's kind of true if you look at his picture he his hair like isn't frodo. curly enough yeah his hair the, isn't curly enough but his eyes. face he does yeah. look like frodo um, yeah and, I, I do uh, think i do yeah. think that jones gets an unfair rap because of his play style his play style is be in the right position upright instead of dell who is generally in the right position, but relies on his reflexes and athleticism. But Jones has been making saves like he was this last game for the past, like, five games mm-hmm. that he started. But only, oh, like, yeah. the last two games, like, even five, seven games, making great saves. You said occasional breakaway. He stops the majority of breakaways. Yeah. But if you still give up ten, if you still face ten he's and give up seven, some. yeah, he's going to let in three, you know? So, yeah, I think uh jones gets an unfair rap about i just want to say something really quick he makes like those occasional like reaching glove saves as well so he's capable of that as well anyway go on totally like he's not some like block who can't move he's a block that doesn't need to move because he's in the right spot Mm -hmm. like and he has the athleticism maybe the raw athleticism is dell is better so he can rely on that more but it doesn't mean that Jones is worse. And Jones has been simply playing the same way for the past, like, seven to ten games. But only now is he getting all this favor. And so, I'm like, oh, no, 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 he's actually turning it around. It's like, uh, hello, everyone. It's been this way for the past five, seven games or so. And it, you're only noticing this after Dell struggled because the team hadn't changed how he was playing. So, I think it's a little – I think he's an unfair rap because I think people – uh, thinks he degrades quicker than he does and then also recovers slowly, more slowly than he should. Mm-hmm. Like in terms of like, oh, he had one bad performance. It takes them like five games for them to just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, he's he's back to normal. It's like, no, he's back to normal a game or two later. Mm-hmm. You just took you longer to see it. And I will say at the beginning of the season, he was letting in some bad goals. Just For like, sure. should have. But that was like early, the first five, ten games. Since yeah. then... I don't think he's been so making so many like you should have saved that goal, you know? Yeah. Um, it's been, even it's been more of the team defense lately. Even the broadcasters uh definitely make a bigger deal out of a Dell crazy save than a Jones crazy save it seems like sometimes because Dell when he does his glove side, he's like piking both feet into that like Air Jordan position. And then Dell uh, and then Jones is kind of like flashes the glove, but like when Dell does it, it looks crazy, and they're like, "Oh, Dell with the save!" And it's like, "Oh, it's like basically the same thing that Jones does." Yeah. So yeah, I definitely think you uh, you can see that Jones's numbers are recovering, and I think if you look at the trailing fifteen games, his his numbers would be significantly better. He's definitely pulled down by his uh, early season 
terrible struggles. Agreed. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Um, we we brought it right up, wrap it up in the next two or three minutes. I just wanted yeah. to say um, Thornton had a three assists night last night, and I'm just happy that Joe yeah. Thornton is still capable of doing his thing. He's just so ah he he's so good. You know, like Carlson, but yeah, he's a legend. Like Carlson, he's got that. You notice that great players know like the time and space that they have, so they'll hold on to the puck a little bit longer, and they'll evaluate their options a little bit because they they hold on to the puck well, they don't lose it, and they wait that little extra time to make just a play that the average NHL player like wouldn't think to do. They they pass it off too early, or they they'd go for more difficult pass into traffic but he, he just waits a little bit longer and it opens up more options. And you see that with Eric Carlson too. And it's, um, it's good. Yeah. yeah he totally. can still use his brain and his hockey smarts effectively. You know what I think bodes really well for the team is what? that Timo Meyer came back for his first day for his first game back and immediately put up a three point night. That was great because he was a, in a bit of a lull, but was like carrying the team in the early, early season kind of went through a lull when Pavelski got hot but now he's back, and he's putting up – I mean, it's only been one game, but he's back on the score sheet right away. looks like he didn't even miss a step, which mm-hmm. is great for him in terms of how his contract can shape out. I think it shows that the second half of last year, he showed that he was consistently scoring all the time after basically not scoring for the entire previous half of the season. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he's carrying that consistency over, and he's starting to show that he can hold it on for the entire season. Yeah. So I think he can quickly become one of our most valuable players. And I think he's already up there. So yeah. that's good to see. And I'm really impressed with Radim Shimek. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's killing it. I've been yeah. bagging on Ryan this season a bit with some of my Twitter posts and video analysis breaking down his plays. Just because he's a familiar name does not mean he's uh, uh, cannot make mistakes, but he's made making some serious mistakes. Mm-hmm. that are abnormal for him because he was chomping at the bit all of last season as well, but still only got into like five games because Ryan was playing at a much better level. But this new ice time that he's getting used to is he, he's not adjusting to his new role on the team. Well, and redeem Shemek is flourishing. So mm-hmm. I hope he continues to play. Um, he's been a bright spot. Like you can't starting alongside Burns is probably one of the hardest assignments you can have for your first NHL game. And he did great both nights in a row. He has the foot speed to recover when Burns pinches and gets, gets punished for it. Um, and we saw it a few times as he passed the game. So that's really, really great to see. Yeah. definitely wanted to bring up Simic too. And, and he's been a good, it's only been two games, but he, you like his physical side of play. You like how he goes for things. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you know, I, to be on the Burns front, I think he's been pretty solid defensively this year compared totally. to to prior years. So it's good that he himself is more defensively sound, but still has his role as quarterbacking things and getting quick wrist shots off the corners. Um, so that's good. I think hopefully as a team, I'm just looking for them to tighten things up defensively, continue to be aggressive on offense while supporting one another. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next stretch of games. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, got to get back to work, <laughs> both of us, <laughs> soon. This was a fun podcast. I think the audio quality is going to be much better. Uh, again, just to plug our Twitter handle, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, you can find me at, at DMiggs22. 
You can find me at, at Ian said so, and you can find our podcast at at underscore back to the point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll go sharks. And uh, until next time, it was a good time. To you go sharks. Go sharks.